Well, I want to welcome you on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. I'm sitting here today at National Memorial Cemetery. And as I was walking around this cemetery today, looking at all the, the grave plaques or bla- gravestones, I thought about all the stories represented in this place. And on this Memorial Day weekend, I want to talk to you about a soldier's story. In Jeffrey Ward and Ken Burns' book called The War, they share stories from soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy near the end of World War II. Now, the scope of the invasion was vast. 157,000 troops, 5,000 ships and landing craft, 12,000 airplanes, over 1,000 tanks, all converging on a well-supplied, dug-in Nazi army on the bluffs of the beaches of Normandy. Now, I don't know about you, but storming an enemy beach when bullets are flying around and mortars are going off all around you is not my idea of a peaceful day at the beach. But one soldier was quoted as saying, many people view us as heroes for doing what we did. I don't view it that way at all. We were soldiers. We were just carrying out orders. Now, we non-military types struggle with statements like that. Most of us are very cautious of military structures, authority structures. We try to avoid them like the plague. Most of us don't take orders very well. We don't know too much about the discipline of followership. And there are reasons for that, especially if you've lived in the United States for most of your life. You see, we live in a democracy, so if we don't like our elected leaders, we just give them the old heave-ho. If we don't like our bosses, we move on, or we try to move them out. If we don't like our college professors, we drop the class. If our pastors don't scratch us where we itch, we go out and find a new pastor who will. If our spouses don't come through for us the way we would like them to, then we go out and find a new one. No wonder military authority structures are so foreign to us, non-military types. You mean you just charged up the bluffs and risked your life to Normandy just because your commanding officer told you to do so? Yes, sir. Next question, sir. Ask anyone who's been in the military, and they'll tell you that the backbone of the military is respect for authority, the carrying out of orders, and a reverence for the discipline of followership. Now, with that little backdrop in mind, I want to read to you a soldier's story right from the pages of the Bible. The story is found in Matthew chapter 8, and it goes this way, starting in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus told him, I will go and heal him right now. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But if you'll just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I'd tell this one, go, and he goes. I'd tell that one, come, and he comes. I said to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in all of Israel with such great faith. So, get the story here. This Roman soldier comes to Jesus one day, and he's a man who has rank on people under him. 
and he reports to those with rank over him. So he understands all about authority and followership. And the centurion has a paralyzed servant whom he cares much about. And this servant is suffering in great pain. And so Jesus offers to go to his house and heal the servant. But the centurion says, Lord, you are the spiritual commander-in-chief of the whole universe. I know my rank, and I know your position. And I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Talk about respect. Then he says in verse 8, But if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. He says, I know how authority works. I'm a military guy, and I see that you have authority. You have authority over people. You have authority over events. You have authority over diseases and storms. You even have authority over death. So if you'll just say the word, I know that it will be done. And I love Jesus' reaction in verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. He was astonished. This is the only time in the Bible where Jesus was astonished at the faith of a man or a woman. It impressed him. It took his breath away. Well, then Jesus said in verse 11, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great a faith. Jesus is wondering, why don't more people have this kind of faith? Why don't I see more people in Israel with this kind of faith and followership? Well, the story ends in verse 13 by saying, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus just said the word and the servant was healed. You know, as I reread that story this past week in preparation for this message, it reminded me of how I felt as a 22-year-old kid when God called me into the ministry. The driving passion of my heart, the driving passion of my life was, I want to be a just-say-the-word follower of Jesus Christ. I want to have a faith that astonishes Jesus. I want to learn the discipline of followership. Now, it's not that I view Jesus as a kind of General Schwarzkopf figure and myself as a little buck private, but there is a kind of passion in me to want to honor the position or the sovereignty or the rulership of Jesus Christ in my life in a whole new way. I wanted his influence to affect, to affect my whole life, my, my values, my decision-making, my relationships, my vocabulary, my money management, how I treated my body. I wanted his way in my life across the board. I wanted to become a just-say-the-word follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I think most of you can relate to this internal passion or urge that I'm referring to. Because you felt a similar type of passion well up in you to go all in and express total commitment to something or someone at different times in your life. And some of you can relate to this passion academically. Maybe you received an assignment and you got that internal passionate urge and you said, with this assignment, with this term paper, I'm going all in. I'm going to do my absolute best with this project. And then after you worked really hard and you turned in the assignment, something warm swept over your spirit. You said, man, that's the very best I can do right there. And it was pretty exhilarating to make and keep that commitment. Maybe it happened to you athletically. 
Maybe you trained really hard with weights or you ran a marathon and you prepared for a whole year and you would not accomplish the task. I remember back about 20 years ago, my, my dad ran from Phoenix to Los Angeles, 420 miles. And when he finally finished, finished that, that, uh, that finish line in 19 days, it was exhilarating to make a commitment and keep the commitment to cross the finish line. And of course, millions of dollars were raised to help the hurting people of Los Angeles. You see, that's the dynamic that swept over me spiritually when I locked into this passion, this passage rather, 28 years ago. I found myself saying, Lord, more than anything else in the world, I want to be totally committed to Jesus Christ and his purposes in this world. To the best of my ability, with help from the Holy Spirit, between now and the grave, I want to be a just say the word follower of Jesus Christ. Just say the word, Lord, and I'll do it. Just say the word and I'll obey. Just say the word, Lord, and I'll stop doing it or I'll carry this out. Just say the word. Now, I haven't always lived up to that commitment. You know, I've really tried when I've failed to confess it and own it and call it sin. And then I tried to get back up on my feet or sometimes have Christ pick me up and dust me off. And then once again, go back to this text and say, okay, for the next leg of the race here, Lord, I want to be a just say the word follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, as a result of making and trying to keep that commitment over the years, I have lived my life with a curious kind of inner satisfaction that just sort of ambushes me every once in a while. Like sometimes when it seems like nothing's going right in my life. You ever been there? When I feel like my teaching, my, my leadership rather, isn't as effective as it could be. Or sometimes when I feel like my, my preaching and teaching isn't all that impactful. Or sometimes I feel like I'm not hitting home runs as a dad or a husband. And it seems like the circumstances of my life really stink. And I start to fall into that abyss of discontentment. God sort of sweeps in and catches me before I fall too far. And he says, Luke, you know, you're right. Things in your life right now are kind of a mess. And the circumstances right now are not great. But Luke, don't forget... You have the most important, fundamental commitment, all focus in the right place. You are a just say the word follower of mine. And you can feel really good about that. And you can hold on to that. And friends, in a strange kind of way, that has lifted me out of the pit of despair so many times. Because I know I have a private followership pack with God. And nobody can mess with that. Nobody can take that away from me. Nobody has to know about this. This is between God and I. And it's very real. And God knows that I mean business, I mean business about it. And it's such, it's such a treasured part of my walk with God. Can any of you relate to having that rising desire, that urge inside of you that says... If I'm going to be totally committed to something or someone in my life, I want the fundamental commitment of my life to be a just, say, the word follower of Jesus Christ. I know some of you can relate to that, but others of you can't. And so I just want to throw a question out to those of you who really can't relate very well to being or even having the desire to be a 
totally committed follower of Christ. I want to ask those of you a question, those of you who call yourself a Christian, but you know in your heart, even on a good day, maybe you're just casually or conveniently committed to Christ. Can I ask you, why is that so? Why do you think so many people are just casually or conveniently committed to Jesus Christ? I mean, we all understand what Christ provided for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, right? And we all understand and understand the kind of devotion that Christ pours out to us every single day, that his mercies toward us are new and fresh every single morning. We all understand that he has orchestrated hundreds of answered prayers for us and kept us from disasters and showered our lives with blessings and he's preparing a place for all of us in heaven one day. We know about these things, right? So the question is, why then, knowing all that, would you only be casually committed to Christ? Maybe we can figure this out together today. Can I offer you a few possible explanations why some Christians are just casually committed to Christ? Possible explanation number one for why certain Christians or, or Christ followers are only casually committed to Christ. Maybe it's a knowledge problem. Maybe it's a knowledge problem. Maybe you never learned or been told what the standard of expectation is that God has for our commitment level. Do you know what the standard is? Now, please don't confuse knowledge with IQ because even the smartest man that ever lived got a little fuzzy when it came to knowledge about the right kinds of commitments in life. One day, God came to Solomon, King Solomon, King of Israel, wisest man who ever lived. And he said, Solomon, you're the smartest man in the world. I've given you great wisdom. But you know, Solomon, I see a pattern in your life developing. I see this pattern for you to want to marry foreign wives and bring them into the palace. And then when they come into the palace, they bring with them their foreign false gods. So I'm instructing you, Solomon, not to marry foreign women and drag them into the palace with their false gods. Because if you continue to do this, then your heart's going to be divided. You're going to turn away from me, the true God. And it's going to be trouble for you, Solomon. Well, Solomon says, I think not. I'm a really wise guy. And the Bible says he didn't just sneak three or four foreign wives in the back door. He had 700 foreign wives and 300 concubines. That's three a night year-round if you're doing the math. Just blatant rebellion. And so near the end of his life, the Bible says in 1 Kings 11 and verse 4, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And verse 6 says this, So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, he did not follow the Lord completely. And God brought judgment to bear on Solomon. And some of you are thinking, wow, God judged him because of his polygamy and his adultery. And that was sinful. And I'm sure God disciplined him for that. But that wasn't the big sin. The big sin came because he dragged those foreign wives into the palace. And when he did that, his heart got divided. His heart got divided between God and those foreign gods. And God said, I'm disciplining you, Solomon, because you are no longer, catch this, wholly devoted to me as you once were. Solomon developed a divided heart. After reading that story, 
I wrote this down. 95% commitment to God is 5% short. 95% commitment to God is still 5% short. Let me talk to the teenagers for just a moment. When I was in my late teenage years, I viewed commitment to God sort of like this. Whatever group I was in, I'd figure out what the acceptable level of commitment was in that group, and then I'd position myself right in the center of the pack. It was a crowd thing, not a God thing. One day I read this text where God was displeased with Solomon because his heart was not fully devoted to him, and it dawned on me that the standard in God's eyes of what is acceptable devotion to him is not 70%. It's not 80%. It's not 90%. It's not even 95%. In fact, 95% devotion to God is still 5% short. And then I had some major rearranging of things in my life to do. And it was all because of this passage. It was like God was saying, hey, Luke, you know, in Solomon's case, the percentage of lack of devotion was all about foreign women. And then God started revealing to me some of the areas of my life where I still lack full devotion to God because of a bunch of junk-filled, sin-filled things. And God just said, Luke, I want you to drop it. I want you to let it go. I want you to give it up. I want you to have a heart that's totally devoted to me. Now, church, look this way for a moment. I just told you about my areas of lack of devotion to God. But my question to you is, How wholly devoted is your heart? Do you know what the standard is? Is showing up here for a service a week, is that the standard? Is serving once in a while, is that the standard? Is it tithing? No. The standard is your whole heart. It's your whole heart. And anything less than that is unacceptable to God. In the Old Testament, God gave us the Ten Commandments. The very first one, the big one is, you shall have no other gods before me. The true God deserves and demands our full heart of devotion. In the New Testament, Jesus would go around and ask people to follow him, and he just expected that they would drop anything and anyone to follow him. And Jesus still expects that of his followers today. I can list 50 passages in the Bible that clearly spell out that the standard for those of us who bear the name of Jesus Christ should be to become just say the word followers of Christ. Now, if that upsets your apple cart today, then maybe it needed to be knocked over. If that causes some of you some sleeplessness tonight, then that's okay because maybe your sleeplessness will eventually lead to repentance where you will have this defining moment in your life where you say, now that I know what the standard is, I want to give God a heart of full devotion. I want to be a just say the word follower of Jesus Christ. So that's possible explanation number one. Maybe it's just an understanding problem. Possible explanation number two for why some of us may be casually committed to Christ. Maybe it's a trust problem. Maybe, you know, you know, we just, we, we, we lack faith in God. Now, we'd never admit this out loud, but you probably thought it a hundred times. If I take that faith swan dive into full devotion to God, am I going to lose more than I gain? If I follow Christ fully, 
If, if I do life according to his word and his wisdom, if I obey his leadings and promptings and go where he wants me to go and do what he wants me to do and let go of what he wants me to let go of and reconcile with whom he wants me to reconcile with, will I regret it? Will I reach the end of my life and say, man, I got ripped off. I lost a lot more than I gained. Now, if you've had those thoughts, please don't beat yourself up about it because we've all had those kinds of thoughts. In fact, Peter was so troubled by his own trust problem because he was taking all these hits for following Jesus and his life was being threatened. He had left his fishing business to follow Christ. And one day he couldn't hold it in any longer. And he said to Jesus in Mark 10, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Translation, what's the return on the investment here, Lord? Are we going to lose more than we gain? Jesus answered him in verse 29. I love this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said to Peter, you couldn't make a better investment with your devotion than you're making in following me. There ain't a better deal in town. So bet the farm and bet the farmhouse on this one. The return is a hundredfold in this age and in the age to come. I guarantee it on my name. I guarantee it on my character. Now, does that promise from Jesus help some of you with your trust problem? It might help a little bit. But ultimately, you're going to have to road test that promise in your own life. You're going to have to walk out on that limb of faith yourself to see if it really holds for you. You're going to have to take some faith steps and see for yourself if God is telling the truth when he says, you'll gain far more than you ever lose when you become a just say the word follower of mine. And for what it's worth, I've never known a fully devoted follower of Jesus who laid on his or her deathbed choking back rage for having been ripped off by God. I've never known even one. But I've known many just say the word followers of Jesus Christ who reached the end of their lives overflowing with satisfaction at all that God had poured into their lives and all that God was promising to them in eternity. Conversely, I've known and read about scores of men and women who just couldn't trust God's promises for whatever reason. People who sold their souls for lesser dreams in life. People who made total commitments to unworthy gods. People who bet the farm on the wrong deal and they spent the last hours of their lives pleading with God for a do-over, which of course nobody ever gets. Dreading standing before a savior with nail-pierced hands. You see, in the final analysis, you'll have to decide if a life of full devotion to Christ is a wise choice or a poor choice. In the final analysis, you will have to decide if being a just say the word follower of Christ will enlarge your heart and enhance your life or diminish it. And I really hope you make the right choice. I hope you'll road test this promise for yourself and see what God does because he will prove himself to be trustworthy to you. Let me offer one more explanation 
for why some people who claim to be Christ followers manifest such low levels of commitment to Christ. Maybe it's a character problem. A character problem. You know, I believe God has given me some discernment about something that's happening in the lives of Christ followers. I believe that some genuine Christ followers honestly don't know what commitment is or how it even works because it was never even taught to them or modeled for them as they were growing up in their home during their formative years. I remember challenging a a casually committed follower of Jesus Christ, a baby Christian to be a just say the word follower of Christ. And he looked at me with a mixture of, uh, you know, desire in his heart, but also confusion, as if to say, I'd like to, I have a heart to, but I'm sort of clueless. Now, he wasn't clueless about salvation, about being saved. He had that all nailed down. He was clueless as to how commitment worked. And so I probed a little bit, and he told me that his parents never, ever taught or modeled commitment for him in any form during his raising up years. They never modeled commitment to each other. They never modeled commitment to their kids, to their vocation, to the church. In fact, he didn't have a single hero of commitment that inspired him to want to make and keep commitments in his life. And so here is this baby Christian whose heart is obviously in the right place, very sincere, but he lacks the character tools necessary to manifest appropriate levels of commitment to Christ and to Christ's church. And I suspect this is far more widespread in the church than I'm even aware of. See, here's what's baffled me over the years as a pastor. I see people with genuine hearts for God, warm hearts, moldable hearts, people who have such soft hearts for God. But then when it comes time for that heart condition to get translated to that shoe leather, you know, decision-making, you know, walking it out commitments, that's where things fall apart. It's just not there. Can I give you a couple of examples? If I were to ask all of you here today, how many of you would like to be closer to God? Raise your hand. How many of you would like to feel more of God's power and presence and love in your life? How many of you would love to hear more of God's promptings and leadings and receive his guidance in your life? I think every hand in this place would go up. But then if I asked how many of you have made a commitment, there's the word, to spending 20 minutes a day praying and reading the Bible and just being silent before God so you can hear his whispers, I think hands would drop pretty quickly. Or if I were to ask, you know, how many of you have made a decision to listen to something, listen to something in your car other than the junk you're listening to, listen to something productive that's going to feed your soul, I think hands would go down pretty fast. I get letters all the time from people. Oh man, Luke, this church has touched me so deeply. It's changed my life. There would be such a gaping hole in my life if the church weren't here. And most of us feel that way. If I ask the question today, how many of you believe in what we're doing? How many of you want this ministry to be strong and help other people in our community and up in Colorado City to to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked? How many of you have a heart and a desire to honor God with a portion of your income each week, each pay period? I think every hand in this place should go up. But again, so many times it breaks down at the point 
of making the decision to sit down and reorganize your personal finances so that the first 10% of each pay period goes right to God's work. And it's consistent. If you're out of town on vacation, you send it right in. That's just old-fashioned, shoe-leather, heart-oriented commitment. Scripture is clear about this, friends. Galatians 6.8 says the one who sows to the Spirit, the one who makes and keeps these spiritual growth-enhancing commitments will from the Spirit reap eternal life. James 4.8 says draw near to God. If you make and keep commitments that put your life near to God, He will draw near to you. 2 Timothy 4.7 says, that you have to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline. Make commitments. I don't know about you, but I've never just drifted into higher levels of spiritual maturity. I've always had to make and keep new commitments in order to gain uh, new heights in my spiritual life. Now, as a pastor, I used to get so frustrated by this as a younger pastor. But I think the Lord's been showing me things like this. Luke, it's not a heart problem. I think people have the hearts to do it. It's a commitment problem, which is solvable. So let me just review for you the basics when it comes to commitment. Commitment involves just four things, real quick. Making a decision, number one. You make a decision like today. I want to be a just say the word follower of Jesus. Number two, reorganizing your life so you can carry out the decision. Number three, action. You begin to walk in the direction of carrying out the commitment. And then number four, follow through. Old-fashioned, courageous, shoe-leather follow-through. Whether I feel like it or not, I follow through. Now, those are the basic elements of commitment. And you all understand them. But friends, it's when you apply them and you hook them up to the hearts that I know you already have for God. That is when you become just say the word followers of Jesus Christ. I want to close by just reminding you of the words of Jesus after he finished the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. He knew lots of people were going to be touched and and moved by his words. But he didn't say, are you moved by my words? He didn't say, are you touched by my words? Or do you agree with my words? He says, are you going to be hearers of my word or doers of my word? See, that's the connection that we need here at Dream City Church. We need the connection of the heart and the character. Therein we become just say the words followers of Jesus Christ. So, final question for the day. When will you become a just say the word follower of Christ? When does the commitment-free living stop? When does the casual Christianity end? When does the low-cost, convenience-oriented, consumer-oriented Christianity stop? Well, it stops on a day like today where you finally say, enough. Half my life is already gone and I still haven't hooked in on the fundamental commitment that God asked me to make to be a just say the word follower of Christ. And so today, I make a decision. I make a commitment 
today is my D-Day. Today, I'm storming my own personal beach. Today, I'm taking my own hill of commitment to Jesus Christ. And if you do that, he will reward your life in ways that will blow your mind. So, Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters. I know that your Holy Spirit is working in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that right now that you will speak powerfully into the lives of people in a way that creates lasting change. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for watching this message today. I believe that right now as you're watching this video, God is speaking to your heart. God is speaking to you about a new life, a new future, a new hope. The Bible says that the way we connect with God is we actually call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's almost like taking your cell phone out and making a call to somebody that you really love. You're making the call. And I want to encourage you to make the call to God today. And as you do, he promises to forgive your sins, to adopt you into his family, and to give you a hope and a future. So today, if you are ready to call upon the name of the Lord, would you just close your eyes right now and just sincerely say these words to God. Dear Heavenly Father, just say those words. I ask you today to be the leader of my life. I ask you to forgive me for my sins and adopt me into your family. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. So I give you my heart today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, he heard you and he forgave you. So I want to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Go find a great church to be involved in. If you don't have one, come join us here at Dream City and we'll help you live out the Christian faith and grow closer to Jesus. God bless you all.